Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM. This is episode number 107, Sunday, March 4th, 2012. Another edition of Paradigms. My name's Baruch. I'm your host. Happy to be here. After missing last week, I was at a conference in Oregon, uh, actually in, in Vancouver, Washington, put on by the Washington State University College of Education, and uh, we're putting a show together about that hopefully in the next week or two. We just heard from Lowell George, who did a solo album before he died some years back, called Thanks, I'll Eat It Here. And that one is called 20 Million Things. Tonight's show is really going to be interesting. I interviewed Dr. Jill Stein a few weeks ago, who's running for presidency as a member of the Green Party. And tonight, we're going to meet someone else who's running for president. Clearly, the campaigns are underway. We've been watching the Republicans' 
just embarrass themselves more every day. And uh, President Obama, of course, has the upper hand since he's the incumbent. But there are other candidates running who are not Democrats, who are not Republicans, who offer different vision of this country and of what our government could be. So lots of music and a great interview. And we're going to meet our guest now. I'm Rocky Anderson, former mayor of Salt Lake City, former founder and executive director of High Road for Human Rights. And now I am the Justice Party's candidate for president of the United States. Well, Rocky, Mr. Anderson, welcome to Paradigms. Well, thanks very much, and I appreciate the opportunity, and it's always great to be able to get the word out without having to spend millions of dollars like the other dominant party candidates to be able to communicate with the American people. Yeah, isn't that how it's supposed to be? <laughs> well, one would think that's what democracy is all about, is that we engage in good, healthy dialogue, that we let people know who the candidates are, but more and more it seems to be dictated by uh, a very few sources of huge money and rather phony messages, most of which seem to be intended to just make us disgusted with the opposing candidates. Sure seems that way. You know, I, I would love to uh, learn a little more about you before we get into the issues, just where you grew up, how you grew up, what kind of values you were taught that uh, still motivate you today. Well, I grew up in a working class family. I was born in Logan, Utah, lived almost my entire life in northern Utah, uh, Logan, Ogden, and Salt Lake City. I graduated from the University of Utah, started graduate school, and then ended up going to law school at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. Growing up, I had a fierce sense of the responsibility we all have to try to help those who are in need and to try to make this a better world. And my decisions in terms of my schooling, my career, were really guided by that ethical sense that I should be able to use the, the opportunities that I've had with my education, my job experience, and put it to the best use possible. And that is exactly what's driven me, and I've had really fantastic opportunities along the way and have made the opportunities to be able to do whatever I could to help make life better for people. And that's both on an individual basis, the, the clients that I represented, for instance, in civil rights cases where I challenged abuses of governmental power. I also had a lot of cases challenging abuses of corporate power. Uh, but then also I did a lot of community work. I was on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood. I was a volunteer member of the board and actually served as president of the board of the Utah affiliated the American Civil Liberties Union. I formed a grassroots organization, Citizens for Penal Reform, to try to improve our prison system in the interests of everybody, including, of course, taxpayers, where there's so much waste in our approach to criminal justice issues and the way we're packing our prisons in this country with people, uh, for instance, first-time drug offenders who 
can be doing so much more for themselves and for all of us in community-based programs. And then I served as eight years of, as mayor of Salt Lake City, working not only to make this a better community, but to try to take our successes and make this a better nation and a better world. For instance, through our climate protection programs, our uh, urban planning programs, using principles of smart growth, uh, getting away from sprawl development, doing better in terms of of use of energy, achieving far greater efficiency in energy use and utilization of clean, renewable sources of energy. Um, So all in all, it's been a very fulfilling and rich life, and what I'm doing now is really just uh, another part of the evolution of uh, a life that's been devoted as I can to trying to make things better and, and make a positive difference. As mayor of Salt Lake City, I'm fascinated that someone with, and I'm going to use language that I feel like is becoming cliche, but someone with progressive values in in a uh, typically conservative state of Utah, how did that work for you and for the people of Salt Lake City? Well, Salt Lake City is a pretty balanced community, really. Uh, it, it's not like the rest of the state of Utah, which is extremely conservative. And I use that term in the sense of people who resist change. Uh, people of Salt Lake City enjoy a very rich artistic and cultural life. There's a good mix in terms of, of different faiths and no faiths. The, the Ethnic composition of Salt Lake City is really, uh, it would surprise most people to come here and see what an extremely diverse population we have. And I view that all as not something simply to tolerate, and we all get along, but it really enriches a community, enriches all of our lives to be in the midst of that sort of diversity. So I think my successes here, I, was, uh, I served as, for eight years, and I think I would have been reelected had I run for a third term. But I think I was successful because people, regardless of whether they agreed with me on any particular issue, knew that I was a straight shooter, that I was committed to the public interest, that uh, I, no, no matter who contributed to my campaigns, they, they would never get favored treatment and that everybody had a place at the table in Salt Lake City when I was mayor. Well, we could hope for that in a president. That would be a a great... We haven't had a president operating that way uh, probably in most of my lifetime, so that would be really refreshing. Well, I I think it's the system, it's our electoral system that ends up bringing people to the White House by and large who don't have the public interest at heart. They end up serving as if they were on retainer by those who have financed their political careers. That was the first part of my conversation with Rocky Anderson. I hope you found it interesting. It gets even more interesting. Uh, It was great to hear about how he got going in life, but then we'll get into some more specifics in the next part of the conversation. Here's a song from Bonnie Raitt on Paradigms.
touch and go Give a cheer and get your own souvenir Well, you know the people running round in circles They don't know what they're headed for Everybody's crying Peace on earth Just as long as we win this war Oh, no. 
Joe Jackson with someone up there and Bonnie Raitt, Everybody's Crying Mercy. Here's Rocky Anderson. We have a very small class of the financial aristocracy that not only choose in large part who it is that gets elected to public office, but then what they do once they're in elective office, if they want to stay there. And it's become extremely corrupt. It's a very perverse system. And the people of this country, I think for a long time, just haven't realized the extent of it. But I think that there has been a real awakening. I think people, regardless of their political affiliations, understand that their interests have been completely betrayed by the very few who have been calling the shots, both in the White House and in Congress. And I think people are fed up with this duopoly of the Republican and Democratic parties. They know that both of them combined have brought us these tragic, wasteful wars. They've brought us these outrageous accumulated debts and the, the interest burden that's going to be laid off on our children and later generations. Uh, they together have failed to provide the essential international leadership on climate protection. And the whole world has been waiting, and the United States, is it's been embarrassing how the United States has completely failed to live up to its responsibility as a major economic power. And then, of course, our empire building, our belligerents around the world uh, making war, attacking governments, uh, using unmanned drones, invading the sovereign territory of other nations, even to the point of, of under President Obama for the first time in our nation's history, adding U.S. citizens to the list 
of those who are to be assassinated. And then most outrageously, and, you know, as these things happen, you think, well, that's as bad as it can get. And then something else comes along, and most recently, it's the National Defense Authorization Act provision that President Obama asked for. It wasn't that Congress foisted this upon him. He asked for it, and Congress gave him the power to point at any person or groups of people who he thinks might pose a danger. And it might be a danger in the future. It's not necessarily based on what they've done in the past. And have them essentially kidnapped, taken away, incommunicado. Their families may not even know what happened to them, as has happened in the past to people completely innocent of any connection to terrorism. But now it can be done to American citizens and held indefinitely, meaning up to the rest of their lives, without charges, without a trial, without legal representation, without the right of habeas corpus. It is, I think, the most un-American, subversive piece of legislation ever passed by Congress and signed into law by a president. So we're seeing, in so many ways, this very elite political and economic class in this country calling all of the shots, well, our rights and interests and our economic security and even our health and safety security are being completely shafted. So that's why I'm running. That's why the Justice Party was created, so that we don't just see people moving around the players, the Republicans and Democrats, within this corrupt, perverse system, so that we can all come together and commit to changing the system. We saw in the Arab world people coming together, organizing at the grassroots, utilizing democratized means of communication through social media, and overthrowing their dictators, even at the risk of so many people's lives. In this country, if people will get off their couches and take a stand, and say, okay, we're, we're going to be a part of this. We have the democratic tools in this country. Although we live under a plutocracy, we still have these democratic tools where we all coming together can play a role and change the system, make certain that our government represents the public interest rather than just the narrow interests of those who have been buying our government lock, stock, and barrel. I asked Dr. Stein this question, and I, I'd like to ask you too, and I'll predicate it with a statement. It, it, it seems to me that while most certainly no one gets to the White House without having already made uh, agreements about who they will serve, that there is a, a, a sort of Damocles that hangs over the, the president's head. I've noticed most presidents have daughters, and I'm wondering if you and your family have seriously talked about the risk to your lives not only should you be elected, but should you stand up to the powers that you are describing now? Um, no. Uh, there have been a number of people that have asked me about it, and frankly, I don't think you can ever let that get in the way of trying to make a better country. There, think of all the people who have put their lives on the line to fight for our nation's freedoms. Um, I, I don't think that should ever be the consideration, and it certainly is not my consideration. I liked Rocky's answer to that question, that uh, 
the threat to life and limb for himself and his family would not even be a consideration in choosing to do the right thing as president. But whatever the right thing means, that's probably different for different folks, but interesting. Okay, here's some more music, and then we'll get back to more with Rocky Anderson. This one is from Kellyanna. It's called There Is No Time. There is no time but now There is no place but here In the secret we do stand In a circle hand in hand There is no time but now There is no place but here in the secret we do stand in a circle hand in hand there is no time but now there is no place but here in the secret we do stand in a circle
the guitar music there, David Lindley and El Rayo X look so good, and there's no time from Kellyana. Here's Rocky Anderson. I've stood up against the powers that be most of my adult life, uh, both my legal practice and my community. I work with a number of nonprofit organizations as mayor of Salt Lake City. I, I was the only big city mayor in the country that was working uh, aggressively for the impeachment of President Bush. And I did that not because I was some kind of political radical. I don't, you know, I think those terms don't really serve us very well. It's exactly what the founders had in mind when they put the impeachment clause in the United States Constitution. When you think about it, what more impeachable offense could there be than lying to our nation about going to war, engaging in an illegal war of aggression, telling the American people that in every instance you were getting warrants when you were spying on people and then having it disclosed that for years you had ordered the National Security Agency to engage in wholesale spying on Americans' communications, illegal surveillance, felonious acts under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act without any accountability. Those kinds of crimes, and they don't, by the way, to be impeached, it doesn't require a criminal act, but here you had a combination of the worst kinds of criminal acts being perpetrated by our president and others in his administration, and then also the betrayal of Congress and of the American people by lying when he knew, when he had the intelligence estimates from the intelligence community, that what he was telling the American people were lies. His representations about Iraq having a nuclear capability or building up to a nuclear capability. He even stated once, uh, unequivocally, he said that the, the International Atomic Energy Agency in a report said that Iraq was six months away from having nuclear weapons when there was no such report. In fact, the reports coming out of the IAEA said exactly the opposite. So when you see the ramifications for our nation, not only the wasted financial treasure, these, these enormous debts that have been driven up that are going to be now placed on the shoulders of our children in later generations, but the hostility and hatred around the world, the, the, the lack of security. I mean, one has to ask, just take a look at the situation now. Just go to our airports, travel around the world. Are we safer? Are we more secure than we were 10 years ago? And if not, what's the reason for that? Well, the reasons are very clear. We've driven up that hatred and hostility around the world. And it's been because we've had bad leadership and leadership that has been largely bought and paid for by so many different interests, including the military-industrial complex, including lobbying organizations like APAC, that drive policy that is so inimical to this nation's long-term interests and, and, frankly, inimical to the interests of the people throughout the Middle East, including, in the long term, the people of Israel. And now we're seeing... Uh, a little deja vu with uh, in, uh, all this different information about Iran. Uh, it seems pretty clear that there is mm. no nuclear weapon being built in Iran, and yet we have Israel saying that they may attack. They won't tell the U.S. if they're going to do it. We have 
Netanyahu coming next week to, uh, I would imagine, wag his finger literally or figuratively at Obama to try and force him to uh, go along with this. What are your thoughts about this? The American people cannot fall for this, nor can the people around the world. Really, Israel, which is completely dependent on the United States for military support, we give more money to Israel and military support than the per capita than any other nation in the world. And we seem to do it unconditionally. It seems that, that Israel can engage in any kind of heinous conduct toward others. And the United States is still falling blindly in line. So, yeah, they're trying to give us plausible deniability that we can say, oh, gee, we didn't know that they were going to do this. Well, having given the signal by Israel that they're planning an attack against Iran, there's only one responsible course for the United States, and that is to say, if you do this, you will no longer have our support. That You can't just do it and, and expect our unconditional support anymore. We have got to step up as the leader we should be in the international community and absolutely make it clear that no one, no country is to attack another nation unless it's been attacked or is at imminent threat of being attacked. And it, it, like you say, it, it, it's deja vu, and Yogi Berra would say it's deja vu all over again. Yep. We, we were told these same kinds of lies. We were given the same kinds of false information the same kinds of horrible, frightening threats, supposedly, that existed when there isn't the evidence. The IAEA inspectors in Iran have not said that Iran has a nuclear capability or that they're months away from having it. You know, President Obama, do you remember during his, his campaign, he made a big deal out of saying that he would engage in unconditional negotiations mm -hmm. with Iran. And, he, you know, it was as if he's taking this strong, principled, you know, we're going to try to get along, we're going to try to build peace with these other nations. He's completely failed to do that, as he's completely failed to do just about everything that he promised to do. And it's, it's making for a much less safe, less secure nation and world as a result. I'm really glad Rocky was talking about seeing through the sham of this latest drum beating for war with Iran that uh, we're hearing in the media from Israel, from members of the Obama administration. Here's John Trudell with Restless Situations on Paradigms. Reaching for horizons that aren't there. They quarreled again today. Turning her back, she feels more like crying. Love turned into contest. Passion turned unkind. Close to going crazy. Tempting, tempting her mind. Like an ant on an ice cream cone in the sun. Someone knocked down all her sandcastles. And she doesn't know why And she doesn't know why Feelings of her own Wandering in restless situations 
Want to weep when she faces reality she's in Want to live Want to begin her life again Feelings of her own Wandering in restless situations Spilling their milk and honey They quarreled again today One more quarrel Their domino theory of quarrels This man she loved so blind at times Like two people One she loves, one she resents Dodging in shadows of another's identity Not stuff young girl dreams are made of Center stage is woman One of many, still one alone An actress with all the roles she plays Trapped somewhere between feelings Prisoner in love, not what she meant Gilded cages, some birds meant to fly Spaces of walls, only walls hear her please Feelings of her own Wandering in restless situations Want to weep when she faces reality she's in Want to live, want to begin her life again Feelings of her own Wandering in restless situations Restless situations Showing a calm face is hard They quarreled again today Quarrels line up one by one Some hang on Fighting back with words, words said When hearts tears cry, why, why, why? Why is this happening, happening, happening to her? She's not guilty, not guilty, not guilty She's a rose bush, treat her beauty gently Sweet love her fragrance without thorns Don't hurt her, don't chop her down She can't live as decoration in a vase She needs to continue, continue to bloom, continue to bloom. Please, Lord, dear God, oh Jesus, when, when, when will things ever change? Damn, damn, damn it all anyhow. Where she's at, what's she going to do now? Feelings of her own, wandering in restless situations.
Lenyulovich. There's some amazing YouTube videos of her performing. I hope you'll check them out. That one's called Special Star. John Trudell before that. And here's some more of my conversation with Rocky Anderson. Let's talk about, if you're elected, your first hundred days. What would the agenda be? We would be renegotiating aggressively our trade agreements, which I think have been almost treasonous. To, to ship millions of jobs overseas and completely betray the interests of working men and women and their families in this country is an outrage. And we know that we've created the conditions where a, a lot of multinational corporations are benefiting. They're paying a lot less money to people in other nations. They don't have the same, anywhere close to the same workers' rights or benefits and there aren't any of the environmental protections in place. So, of course, these multinational corporations are going to make out like bandits while the American workers are getting completely shafted. There is so much talent sitting on the sidelines in this nation, so many people that want to work good jobs that are now flipping burgers. Some of them, that's the best thing they can find, and some of them can't even find that. We have a, a minimum wage in this country that is far below what it was in prior decades when you take inflation into account. People are working full-time jobs and not being able to pay their rent or mortgage and feed and clothe their families. We have the greatest economic disparity in this country right now that at any time before the Great Depression. You have to go back to the 1920s to see this kind of division in our country between the very, very wealthy and the fortunes that they've amassed and the rest of us. So jobs programs. I, I, I would institute a WPA and CCC initiative 
where we're building up our nation's rapidly deteriorating infrastructure and put millions and millions of people to work. I would also announce on the first day in office that the United States is committed to providing aggressive international leadership on climate protection because if we don't do that, and we know we're not going to get that leadership out of the Republican or Democratic parties, we are headed for catastrophic consequences of, of unimaginable scope as a result of climate change. We're already seeing a lot of this happening. We're already seeing people having to leave their homelands. We're going to see hundreds of millions and eventually billions of environmental refugees. We're going to see droughts. We're going to see heat waves of the sort that, that's never been experienced. And uh, we know that this is happening. It's not even a matter of debate, although we've got these misinformation campaigns that still seem to be so successful in misleading the American people. But every nation's science academy that has weighed in on the issue, including, of course, the United States Science Academy, every major scientific organization in this country, every one of them are saying the same things. And they've said it for years. That, that this world is, on the whole, warming up dangerously, and it's happening at a rapidly increasing rate. It's because of the destruction of forests and primarily the burning of fossil fuels, coal, oil, and gas. And we know what the consequences are from that. The melting of the ice caps of glaciers, the warming of the oceans, the rising of the oceans. This poses such a threat of, of catastrophic consequences for humankind, and the United States has sat back and failed to do anything because, once again, the corrupting influence of money from the coal, oil, and gas industries. And, and you know, we see it in terms of clean air and clean water. Does anybody think that President Obama woke up one day and said to himself, you know, it would really be great in the public interest to veto the EPA's efforts to reduce ozone in our communities? No, he did that obviously. There's only one reason. Just follow the money. It's the influence of those polluting industries. That is core corruption in our government. And then in the first 100 days, I would lead a movement. I would, I would go to the people of this country and help create a people's movement, much like FDR did for Social Security. And I would get the people behind in a way that Congress could not resist a major change in how we finance our campaigns in this country, even if it takes a constitutional amendment to overrule Citizens United. But even before Citizens United, we had a very corrupt system. We knew that public policy was being bought and paid for by corporate interests. We need public financing of our campaigns. That, that is so abundantly clear now. And it's not like it's going to, to put the American people at any great expense because we know that the expense of running things the way they are now, that's why we have these enormous deficits and the accumulated debt. That's why the military-industrial complex that President Eisenhower warned us about in his last presidential speech is having its way with Congress. That's why we see so many billions of dollars poured in to these, these ridiculously 
anachronistic and wasteful weapons programs. And it's because these contractors, they know, they know how to play the game. They end up putting contractors or subcontractors in all these states and districts around the country. The F-22, for instance, had contractors or subcontractors in 44 different states so that the senators and members of the House of Representatives from those areas would fight for continued funding, even though it was a complete betrayal of this nation's long-term interests and short-term interests, of course, because we're seeing the deficits ratcheted up so much while we're spending more on our military in this country than the rest of the world combined. I was really pushing that surge into plowshares topic because I think it's critical. I think the fact that the United States' main export is weapons and that we arm all sides of conflicts around the world is immoral and horrendous. And I think that we need to transition our economy from a war-based economy to a peace-based economy. So I like what Rocky had to say about that. Um, well, here's some more music. Here's something from the Buffalo Springfield.
sideways amy man i like that song at least you know you've been taken by a pro which is how i feel by all of our politicians i feel like they're a bunch of cons and they're just taking us um, 
And before that, special care from Buffalo Springfield. Here's some more Rocky Anderson. Well, here's a few issues, and I'm going to ask you for thumbs up, thumbs down, or uh, can't can't make it that simple. Um, drone, okay. Drones. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumb, or... Thumbs down, except in the most extraordinary circumstances. Uh, this promiscuous use of drones is is an, an utter outrage, and uh, uh, there have been so many innocent people, innocent bystanders that have been killed as a result. We've got to put an end to that. That that paints our nation as among those who completely devalue life, and of course, it's going to have long-term security implications. Releasing genetically modified organisms into the biosphere. Thumbs down, and it's it's all got to be disclosed. We need to know what's in our food, what's in our air. I know you just want a thumbs up or thumbs down. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's I feel, I, obviously, I, feel so strongly about these issues. You're you're allowed to give some words too. <laughs> Changes in uh, civil liberties, the way things are happening in this country. Uh, you you talked about NDAA. Uh, there's now something working its way through Congress that would make it illegal for people to protest if there are government officials present. What are your thoughts? Thumbs down in in the most adamant way possible. I've been fighting against this for years. As a lawyer, uh, I fought for people's civil rights. Uh, in my nonprofit work, I did that. As mayor, I spoke out against these human rights and civil rights violations. And at High Road for Human Rights, which I founded, and I was executive director for four years, I was doing multimedia presentations. And by the way, this is all available on our website, votrocky.org. And you can also find it at highroadforhumanrights.net. I did, and some of them are very lengthy, but it, it, multimedia presentations. And I spoke around the country on these issues about how our republic is absolutely being transformed, ratcheting up of this imperial presidency, where there are so many ways in which core constitutional values are being completely eviscerated, where the courts are stepping aside under this, this subversive state secrets doctrine and dismissing cases at the behest of the executive branches where the cases were challenging illegal conduct by the executive branch. Now, that is the very definition of tyranny, and it is a complete destruction of any system of checks and balances and separation of power. In 2010, uh, the official number for the amount of uh, weapons sold by the U.S. to other countries was $170 billion. And then there are other unofficial numbers where there are trade agreements that don't figure into dollar amounts where weapons are traded for goods. So my question to you is, uh, since right now the U.S.'s major export to the world are, is weapons, how would you address that? I would do everything possible to put that to an end. It, now what President Eisenhower warned us about in terms of the military-industrial complex, and by the way, his first, when he first wrote his speech, he wrote it out, military industrial congressional complex. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's exactly how it's worked. I would expose it as president. I would use the bully pulpit. We've never heard this from President Obama, but it's been because he's been a recipient of this, this outrageous system. 
I would be raising the consciousness of every person in this country about what we are doing to arm the world, even arming those who are our enemies or who one day will be our enemies and use those weapons against us. I don't think the American people on the whole have any idea how we are arming so many brutal regimes to the teeth so that they can oppress their own people and make war against others. I mean, we did it with Saddam Hussein. We were providing him with arms. We were providing him with aid even after he, when he, when he did have weapons of mass destruction, was using chemical weapons against the Kurds, the Anfal campaign, we doubled his wheat credits. And he got and, the, that, the gas he used from us. Exactly. He got some of the agents for, that, for those chemical weapons from us. And so we supported him. Uh, when he was making war against Iran, using chemical weapons. Then when he's using them against his own people, the Kurds, we support him. We double his agricultural credits. Secretary of State James Baker, it's just amazing. He made a statement once that to even censure Hussein for his murderous campaign against the Kurds and use of weapons of mass destruction would marginalize our own business interests. Have you ever heard anything so absolutely immoral, so unconscionable? And then he goes on to, to be the, co- the co-chair of the Iraq report. It's, it, it's, it is amazing how these people maintain their influence. People who have the idea that to benefit the United States business community, whether it's our arms manufacturers or our wheat producers, that anything is okay as long as these interests profit in this country. And look at the long-term implications. We did that for Saddam Hussein. Then once he does get rid of his weapons of mass destruction, as he did after the first Gulf War, and and the weapons inspectors all said, like Scott Ritter, they were destroyed, and there's no sign that he's rebuilt them. Then we make up this excuse, our president makes up this excuse, that, well, he he may have weapons of mass destruction, so we've got to go invade and occupy that country. And how many thousands of American servicemen and women killed, rendered with serious lifetime mental illnesses, the loss of limbs, the kind of suffering by them, by their loved ones, and upwards of a million Innocent Iraqi lives lost as a result of our invasion and occupation of that country. It's obscene. It is obscene. And it's time the American people, I, I, I know that the, 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 what usually gets to the American people is their own pocketbook issues, but this is one of those times where it all comes together. That, that our conduct of these wars, the, 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 the instability around the world, all of it impacts not only our security, not only impacts what's going to happen with our children and later generations in relation to the rest of the world, but it is all so unbelievably wasteful from an economic point of view. We would not be facing the debt crisis that we have in this country if it were not for those wars that were started under the Bush administration and continued under the Obama administration and the tax cuts for the wealthy 
that came about during the Bush administration with the collusion of the Democrats in Congress that helped make it possible, and then the continuation of those tax cuts during the Obama administration. It it was the first time in our nation's history that we were fighting a war and also gave massive tax cuts. Isn't that just amazing that we, the American people, stand by and let that happen? And then there there's so many people who say, well, we've still got to vote for a Republican or a Democrat because the, the least of the evil among them might be defeated by the worst of the evil, mm. rather than saying, let's all come together. You don't usually hear politicians telling the truth about what the United States does in the world. So I found that refreshing. Uh, that Rocky was talking about that. We have one more piece of that interview, and before we get to it, here's a little more music. Here's something from Lindsey Buckingham. Sanity We long to see you We'll keep our ears down to the track Did we desert you? Is the truth ever coming back? Ever so have 
Love is where our 
that song would be played often within earshot of everyone who is ever responsible for making decisions that lead to a war. And this is the time, Lindsay Buckingham. All right, here's the last part of my conversation with Rocky Anderson. Imagine if the American people came together and said, we're going to take this in a very different direction. We're not going to be bound to either the Republican or Democrats anymore. We're going to choose a very different way, a much better way for both the short-term and long-term interests of this nation. You made a really important point a few minutes ago about uh, the military pork, and then if you if you look at that in the context of our, uh, some say recession, some say depression, the unemployment, it would appear to me that we have arranged to be addicted to military pork that so many people work in defense industries around the, the country. If those were, if we really did a swords into plowshares program, what can we do and what would you as president do to move that labor into something else? How would we, you see what I'm saying? How would you account for it? Absolutely. We know it can be done. We know that a clean energy economy, for instance, we could move people from these destructive industries that cause so much hardship and so much risk to our security around the world, we could move all of these workers into these new areas with much cleaner sources of energy, greater energy efficiency. We could be just one thing. And, and President Obama was amazed in his last State of the Union address. He talked about businesses that, that, that they, they can retrofit their buildings and such. 
why isn't he talking about retrofitting government buildings, the hundreds of thousands of government buildings that are over 20 or 30 years old? We could be putting hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people to work retrofitting these buildings, reducing the energy needs. In the long term, it would save money. It would reduce our dependence on foreign oil. And it would make things so much safer, so much cleaner for everybody. And it would, at the same time, put all these people to work. The same thing with the WPA and or CCC-like program, where we could, we, uh, our nation's infrastructure is deteriorating to a point that is absolutely unconscionable. And it's being ignored. It's being ignored by Congress. It's being ignored by the White House. We could be pouring resources into fixing that infrastructure, which is truly a positive investment in the future of this country and employing millions upon millions of people to do it. That was done under FDR. They're, they're proven programs. It's not like you have to go out and reinvent the wheel. We know that it worked. Why is it that that's not happening now in, that, in this country? It's because of a misprioritization of our resources. It's a lack of imagination. And I think it's total timidity by our president and members of Congress who are afraid that some right-wingers might call them socialists because they actually have the audacity to try to keep people or get people employed out there working productively and restoring our nation's infrastructure. I interviewed Dr. Jill Stein, who's also running for the presidency, and I'll, I'll say to you what I said to her, which is, I'm not going to ask you about your religion because it's none of my business, but I am interested in your thoughts about religion and politics in this country. Religion, of course, is going to drive people's values, and I think that's important. But we need a clear separation between religion and government. I've often said I think people ought to, to apply the golden rule or whatever the equivalent is, because every religious and humanitarian tradition has a sort of golden rule, and that is don't advocate that your religious beliefs be pushed by government or even supported by government because if it weren't your religious beliefs it was if it were somebody else's how would you feel about it we really need to be, get away from this idea that each of us has the the ultimate truth and i know there are a lot of religions that say that and i think it creates unbelievable divisions between people exactly the opposite of what religion ought to be doing Government involvement in religion degrades religion, and it subverts government. Is there anything, uh, a final statement or something you want to make sure you say that I haven't asked you about? Well, you asked about my personal history. I think it's really important for people to understand that there are candidates like myself. And I, I think, frankly, I'm unique right now among third-party candidates who have a record a solid record of standing up against powerful corporations, standing up against government abuses of power. And at the same time, I've had enormous management and executive experience. I've been over more than a $200 million general fund budget. And on top of that, a redevelopment agency. And on top of that, a major international airport that I ran 
as mayor. I was basically the chief operating officer of that airport. That kind of experience is absolutely crucial. I, I had infinitely more management and executive experience than Barack Obama. And in the legal field, I actually tried cases. I argued appeals. I represented individuals. He never did that. And I, I know that he taught law, but I don't think he even authored a, a journal article in the entire time. So you want somebody with the capability, with the experience, but also you want to know what's at the core of the person. Is it somebody who will really stand up and fight? We were handed a, a big PR campaign four years ago about hope and change, but the person to whom that campaign was directed didn't have any record of that and still now has shown that that's not who he is. That's not what he's capable of doing. He didn't stand up and fight for real health care reform in this country. Even after Obama's plan is implemented, if it is fully implemented, there will still be 23 million people without basic health care coverage in this country, and there will still be people, hundreds of thousands of people, taking out bankruptcy every year because of their health care bills. That doesn't happen anywhere else, in, not in one nation throughout the rest of the industrialized world. So if you want somebody who's not only committed to change, but who's capable of fighting successfully to help change things for the better in the public interest, who has the passion and the capacity, I ask you, support my campaign, support the Justice Party, go to our website to learn more, voterocky.org. We've got a money bomb coming up on Tuesday to help finance this. We've limited our campaign contributions to $100 per person. And the message there is we're not looking for a lot of money or influence from any one source. We're looking for the masses to get behind this campaign to help change this nation for the better. Rocky, thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate your time and uh, all the good energy you're putting into this work. Thank you for helping us get the word out. This is absolutely crucial. I'm very grateful. Rocky clearly has a vision of how he would be president, and uh, I, I enjoyed this interview very much. I also enjoyed the interview with Dr. Stein a few weeks ago, and last night I was thinking, boy, what if the two of them teamed up and ran together on a ticket? You know, really put the Republicans and the Democrats out to pasture where they belong. I wanted to mention that uh, I mentioned during the interview H-347, which was uh, making its way through Congress, which would make it illegal for people to protest in situations where there are any government officials present. Well, that passed the Senate by unanimous consent in February, which means all our senators allowed it. And it passed the House this past week, and there were only three congresspersons who voted against it, all three Republicans. So that means, Vermonters, that Peter Welch voted to make it illegal for us to protest where he might be present. That means that all our congresspeople voted for this. This is an absolutely criminal act, this law. It, it defies the Constitution. It puts every single member of Congress who voted for it in the position of having forsworn their oath of office. So let's be really clear about what's going on in Congress right now. The noose is tightening. They want to shut us up and shut us down, all of us, regardless of whether we see ourselves on the right or on the left. Congress wants us all to shut up and do what they tell us. 
So at this point, I think members of Congress must be considered as illegitimate, right? If they're all in violation of their oath. It's getting dicey and summer's coming. It's going to be a hot summer in the USA and it's time. It's time for change. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. I think Rocky Anderson is a viable candidate, just like I think Dr. Jill Stein is a viable candidate for the presidency. And uh, I'm hoping to interview Roseanne Barr, who's also running. I don't think I will try to get an interview with President Barack Obama, and uh, I can't imagine that I would even be interested in trying to interview whoever the Republicans finally nominate, because they're just, they all seem like complete wingnuts. Um, I can't take any of them seriously, which I think is their intention. I think Obama is the uh, anointed one for this election by the corporate masters. Anyway, ah, life goes on. The wheel keeps turning. It keeps being interesting. Stay tuned for the Sunday Night Crush with Nina. And uh, I'll be back next week. Baruch on Paradigm signing off, leaving you a little something from Kirsty McCall. Have a great week. Listening to Paradigms on WBKM.org.